Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a passion for health, specifically a passion for making other people healthier in this world, otherwise known as population health. We call it Pop Health. This is the show supporting the concepts and initiatives and mindsets and leaders uh, in this space. And I'm really, speaking of leadership, I'm really excited to have Greg Souchin on the call. Uh, on this episode, Greg is going to share some pretty insightful elements across the, uh, the healthcare setting. In the payment space, he's going to share some other things as well. Uh, Greg is with Ohio Health, and he's a senior director of product strategy and innovation. But most importantly, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm uh, happy to be here. Great, great. And so um, tell us about how you got started. How did you end up where, where you're at today? Tell us your origin story. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one um, that I get asked about a lot because uh, it's it's a fairly non traditional route that I've taken to where I am. So um, my background is um, even in in undergraduate, I always sort of in, existed in that intersection of sort of business and science and, and numbers and data. Um, you know, changing my majors a bunch of times, like a lot of kids do when they're in college and not sure where they want to be. Um, but I decided to kind of carry that into uh, grad school too. So I, I did a, a combined MD and MBA um, and, and did my MBA in corporate finance. And, and again, was, was kind of uh, torn between, you know, I, I love both spaces. I love medicine. I love the science. I love um, working with patients. But then I love the, the business aspects too. Um, a lot of folks that are in my position, um, kind of doing a, a dual degree like that, they'll, they'll start in the medicine space and kind of work their way more towards the business space. I decided to kind of jump in headfirst and, and to investment banking, um, out of, uh, school and, and did that for a number of years, mostly working with, um, small critical access hospitals, um, doing, uh, uh, bond transactions and working with skilled nursing facilities and, and continuing care retirement communities and um, doing a lot of uh, work around the Midwest, but got into some other parts of the country as well. Um, you know, wanted to kind of get more into the, the science aspects of what I was doing. So um, my next uh, uh, route was moving more into um, tech evaluation and, and sort of venture and working on medical devices and um, uh, with uh, a lot of his, his smaller Israeli companies, uh, kind of one, uh, one, one product type companies. Um, and uh, enjoyed that a lot uh, as well, but didn't get as much of a chance to work directly with physicians uh, in, in that space. And so um, through a couple other uh, jumps, kind of found my way to Ohio Health um, and uh, you know, have been here for about uh, five years now in a, in a couple different roles. Um, it, just for your audience, Ohio Health is a, a multi-hospital um, integrated delivery system based in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I think we've got about 10 or 11 hospitals now uh, and about $4 billion of, of net patient revenue. Um, I work over on our, our population health side where um, we do a lot of um, population health, um, a health plan sort of contracting, clinically integrated networks and, 
ACOs and bundles and all kinds of buzzwords that, that people are talking about. Um, but we're, we're in a nice position where we're uh, out on the leading edge of figuring out uh, how do we really wrap our arms around uh, patient care and how do we um, deliver better care to, to individuals um, and uh, wrap a, a model around that, that that'll um, benefit our patients um, first and foremost in helping them live healthier lives. Super cool background. It's a pretty interesting pattern across your career that, that has led you to this point. It seems like all the all the themes and everything prior to this have has led you, you know, kind of to this moment with Ohio Health. Um, yeah. So innovation, product strategy, right? Supply chain, um, pain, the 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 finance world, right? And maybe you can talk a little bit about what has you passionate today on the things that you're working on. Maybe themes you're seeing, maybe it's things you're working on, but love for you to pick like one or two things and just go a little bit deeper and unpack those things of, of, you know, what's, what, what has you passionate about those, those spaces? Yeah. I think that, you know, what we're seeing right now uh, across the country is, is sort of the product of the emergence of information. And so, you know, you look at what's happened in healthcare over, let's say the last 20 years is that, um, you have a lot of care being delivered, but not a lot of people sort of understand the patterns. Not a lot of people are really looking at how much does it cost? What, um, you know, what are the outcomes we get? And, and we've seen that sort of maturation um, over the past couple decades. We're, we're really at the cusp now. And I wouldn't say we're quite there yet, but we're really at the cusp of being able to, to wrap our arms around it. Um, and more importantly than wrap our arms around it, be able to do something about it and um, all the stakeholders that are involved. So, you know, you look at a traditional sort of healthcare um, paradigm, you have a, a patient who consumes care, but in large part um, hasn't historically paid for that care, whether they're in a government program or whether they're in an employer sponsored plan, they haven't historically had high deductibles. They haven't had a reason to price shop. They haven't really cared what the care cost. They just wanted the care and they wanted to go to the, the best provider. Um, you had payers out there that were in an environment where um, they really cared about controlling costs and, and um, wanting to, to sign up members to a health plan or, or minimize burden to you know the, the, its constituents if you look at sort of government-sponsored programs. Um, and then you have providers who just really wanted to be able to provide high quality care to their patients, but knowing that that comes at a cost because you, you have infrastructure, you have people that have to provide that care. Um, you see these lines that used to exist starting to blur. Patients are now consumers. Everybody has high deductible health plans. Um, payers are turning into providers. You look at you know some of the things that companies like United Healthcare is doing with um, its Optum division and, and acquiring practices and hospitals. Uh, and then you look at systems like mm -hmm. Ohio Health that are going out there um, and starting health plans and and trying to be more like a payer and, and take risk on patients. Um, and so you know this this sort of blurring of the lines, the paradigm shifts. Um, the way, you know, what I'm really excited about is, is sort of all, all the chips are on the table right now. The, the, the traditional sort of thoughts of what is market share and, and what, um, what is our business is, is all up in the air for, for organizations um, to, to redefine 
um, and, and there's organizations that are um, further along than others and, and you know we're, we're a part of that um, uh, redefinition of sort of a, a, um, a model of care um, that's really wrapped around how can we deliver high value um, to patients and, and through the patients uh, and our patients eyes of saying you are um, going to get a great outcome um, at a great cost uh, and in a convenient way that, that meets the needs of you and your family. Um, and that's what I'm really most excited about is that, you know, I think that we're, we're really in a position to define what that model looks like um, today. Yeah, no, it's, it's super exciting. Yeah, you see all these pieces converging on the payer and provider side, lots of different innovations and almost like counterintuitive transactions happening that you wouldn't have seen like even a few years ago. Um, you know, you and I probably kind of can can answer in, in excruciating detail the why on why this is happening, yeah. right? You've, you've got you know, macro backpack, these BPCI initiatives, and not to keep throwing acronyms right. and letters out there, but maybe say we had a listener on the show that's maybe like a, a very passionate fourth grader that wants to be a doctor one day. Maybe <laughs> you can kind of explain at a basic level, like what what is what is the whole bundle payment? Like, so in this world of, and this flow that you just described, how does finance work in? How is it changing? You know, bundle payments, BPCI, what does it all mean? And where are the areas of opportunity? Maybe if, if you can help us understand that a little bit more, maybe describe also a little bit more on, on what you're working on in the in the Yeah, I'm happy to. Here. So, you know, underlying all of this is is sort of the realization across the board that, that the trajectory of healthcare spend in this country is completely unsustainable. And so you have these different models being tried out by both the private payers as well as the government to... Um, start thinking about how can we change the model to incentivize what we really want to incentivize, which is outcomes. Um, BPCI, the Bundle Payment for Care Initiative, is one of those ways where CMS, um, the government, uh, for, through Medicare fee-for-service is coming out now, and um, they've been doing this for a while, but now they're, they're kind of on the next iteration of saying, okay, well, traditionally, we CMS pay you for everything that happens to a patient. Somebody comes to the hospital, we'll pay you for that. Um, somebody comes back to the hospital for a readmission, we'll pay you for that. You go to the ED, well, well, we'll, we'll pay you for that hospital. And so the hospitals really had an incentive to maximize the number of services utilized because um, we got paid for every each and one of those. Um, and so the through the use and what's really enabled this is, is um, the ability to look at data to say, okay, well, what I really want to incentivize you as a provider for is, is providing an outcome. So if somebody comes in for a knee replacement, I'll pay you for the knee replacement. I'll pay you for the hospitalization. But um, I'm not going to pay you extra if you consume more care after that. I'm expecting when somebody comes in for a knee replacement that they have a good outcome and they get back to their life and they stop coming to the hospital for um, uh, problems related to that, that knee because you, you're telling me because you replaced the knee that you fixed it. Um, and so it's, what we're doing now is saying for in the case of a procedure, um, come to the hospital, um, we'll take care of your procedure, but then effectively all the care that happens 90 days after that, we're on the hook for as the people taking responsibility mm -hmm. for the outcome of that procedure. And it's really forced us to think in a different way. It's, it's no longer about, um, I just need to manage the length of stay for this hospitalization. It's how do I make sure you're successful at home afterwards? 
Um, and that has really opened everybody's eyes to social determinants of health and, um, you know, physical therapy and, mm -hmm. and things that we can do to um, make sure that, that patients are having better outcomes. And, and, it, and it's great for patients because nobody wants to be in the hospital. It's, you know, we're, we're in the hospital business and this is one of the, the few businesses where, um, you know, your customers almost universally don't want to be there. Um, you know, they want to get back to their lives and, and not be... Um, sick or or otherwise uh, in a bed in a hospital so um you know we're, we're wrapping mm -hmm. those sorts of models around um the care that we're providing um right now in in bpci and and um, some other areas as well and so so yeah very fascinating and so you know obviously if i had needed a heart procedure done like a common one I guess the system could have really charged as, as much yeah. as possible. It could have been a million dollars for maybe like a stint or, or, you know, some sort of congestive heart failure procedure. Like what would be an example? Like, so is that procedure now in a bundle payment um, now a certain amount, like uh, it's the, the system's got, you know, 90 days and, and, you know, what, $40,000 to get, get my procedure. Right. right. Yeah. Um, what would, do you have a, like an example, like a, maybe around cardiology or maybe it's around the knee, like a knee replacement? Yeah. So, you know, from, from what the government's doing in bundles is really, uh, holding, uh, hospitals and health systems accountable. But in addition to that, what it's really forcing us mm -hmm. to develop is the ability to do exactly what you just said. And what we really want to get to mm -hmm. and what we're starting to do is go right to a patient and say, hey, this is what uh, a, a, like a stent's going to cost you. Um, it's going to be $12,000 mm -hmm. and you will get not only the stent, you'll get all your hospital care. We'll cover all the complications. We'll cover everything that happens after that. Um, we've done a bunch of work uh, internally in, in piloting. What does a maternity bundle look like? So. You look at any commercial mm -hmm. population, the most common cause of hospitalization in a managed care population, so under 65, um, sort of employed population, is childbirth. Um, you know, we, we have a plan of mm -hmm. about 37,000 members um, that are uh, Ohio Health employees and, and um, associates and their families. And, you know, we, we have about 500 births a year. That's the most common cause of, of hospitalization. Um, and, and we want everybody mm -hmm. to have a great experience with, with childbirth. But um, the variety of experiences are, are all over the map. So there's a lot of data that goes into saying how much does it cost to have a kid? Um, you know, because you can have a, a, a regular birth, you can have a C-section, you can have complication, maybe not prematurity, right. no prematurity. Um, a lot of these variables that are going into it, um, some are predictable, but many of them are random. And so when you really think about a population of 500 people or a thousand or 10,000 people having a baby, as the numbers grow, you start getting into a realm mm -hmm. of predictability. I don't know any single patient that's going right. to need a C-section. However, in a population of 10,000, I know 2,000 of those people are going to need C-sections. Um, and so once you mm -hmm. can start wrapping um, uh, statistics and numbers and sort of this, this concept of big data around it, um, you see the patterns that emerge. And when you see right. those patterns, you start to think about ways that you can 
um, you know, what we call pulling levers to see if you can actually um, mitigate some of the risk. So, you know, the way any of these, you know, and, and mm-hmm. if you don't mind me geeking out for, for just a minute, um, if there's any stats folks on the, the, mm-hmm. the, the show here, um, you know, all these uh, episodic mm-hmm. patterns, they almost all follow what's called like a log normal distribution. So there's a, a whole bunch of people clustered. It's sort mm-hmm. of like what normally happens. Uh, and then you have a very long tail of things that are like complications and other weird stuff that just happens in medicine that um, in many cases is unpredictable and that on an individual patient basis, a lot of it's just bad luck. Um, However, Mm -hmm. um, there are things that we can do to minimize your chances of of having bad luck. And so then the the management becomes around what do we do to minimize your risk of complications? What can we do to um, make sure that um, the things that are happening um, are happening so to minimize your risk of needing a C-section. Um, because what we really want to do is, is by um, really defining that population and defining our historical experience, do better in the future. Um, and there, you know, there, there's no ceiling mm-hmm. to, um, you know, there's no finish line to saying, yeah, we're, we've perfected it. It's one of those things that can always be improved upon. And so that's um, that's kind of the fun part is is digging into all of this data and trying to figure out where where are the levers, where are the opportunities to to deliver higher value care to mm-hmm. to our patients. Yeah, Greg. No, it's it's super exciting and powerful. And and then obviously on the on the statistics side, you know, so so obviously you're alluding to you know definitely a lot of the innovation areas in this space, right? So compiling this data, maybe applying predictions yeah. and AI on top of it. To really, you know, narrow in on, on what should be the the cost and, and predictability of like, uh, and so yeah, births are, are pretty interesting, or, or deliveries are you know pretty interesting, or, or um, well, could you explain a little bit? So whether it's like a, to contrast a little bit, whether it's like a Mount Sinai and they're doing uh, X amount of, um, you know, there's X amount of childbirths happening through their hospital, or all the way to like Kaiser, for instance. Um, for our audience more, more so, uh, how would you just, so who defines the bundle is each of the hospital systems defining the bundle or is the bundle and the code set at, you know, what level is that set at? Is that set with the provider? Is that an agreement? Are the same codes, the same across systems and providers and the same costing? And are there different bundles for, uh, for, for, um, for, uh, deliveries, right. You know, it is, or are there different types of, uh, that yeah, different that's, types that's a great of question. And, and right now where we are is that it's, it's all over the board. So it's, it's, everybody has the opportunity to build mm-hmm. their own. So CMS gives us a code set and things like that, but no, other than right. participating in that particular CMS right. program, you're not bound to that. And so there's a lot of different approaches that are mm-hmm. being, um, pursued by a lot of different organizations. So to give you an example, um, you know, you look at the state of Ohio or even state of Tennessee, um, there's, there's sort of like a, a McKinsey model that's out there, um, that a lot of the state Medicaid, um, uh, programs have embraced where you define a bundle by objective criteria, but then you have a lot of exclusionary criteria. And so what you're trying to do in that case is, is wrap a bundle around uh, a set of data. And by the time you get done with all these exclusions, half the patients are kind of excluded because they had a complication or because they had, um, X, Y, Z comorbidity. Um, and so, you know, we kind of looked mm-hmm. at that model and we said, you know, if, if I were a patient, um, would I like somebody telling me that, yeah, we'll do your knee replacement for $20,000, but 
if any one of these things happens to you over the course of your treatment, we're, we're going to kick you out and then you're just going to be paying, you know, fee for service and whatever that cost is. And it's going to be higher because you had a complication. Right. Um, we kind of took a different approach to, to it. And we said, look, let's look at this through a patient's eyes. If somebody comes into our hospital and they say, I'm here to have a baby, um, you know, we should be able to tell them what the price is going to be for having that baby, regardless of what happens to them that's out of their control. Um, a lot of, in a lot, and in most cases, like having a C-section because, you know, something isn't looking right on a fetal heart monitor, that's not in the patient's control. The patient doesn't want to have to worry about in that moment that, oh, we're kicking you out of the bundle and now, um, you're going to be in fee for service. Uh, and so we kind of took a philosophical approach that said, look, we're, we're always going to do right by patients and, and we're going to, instead of trying to define a, a, a perfect sort of apple to apple, just say, look, there's a variety of things that happen in medicine. And what we really need to do is define on a population level all those things that can happen in any particular episode um, and say, we know the frequency mm -hmm. of event over a sufficiently large number of people. And so you as an individual patient can have the same experience, can have the same price, because I don't know if any of those things are going to happen to you, but if they do... Um, we already know that that's going to happen to some number of people and therefore I can give you a price and I'm not going to kick you out of a bundle. So, um, and different organizations are approaching mm -hmm. it in different ways. Um, some are approaching it the way we're approaching it. Some are approaching it more with sort of exclusionary criteria. Um, you look at sort of the health plans and it's all over the map as well. So you look at even like a Kaiser kind of model where you, you sort of have that amalgamation of, of health plan and provider. Um, that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it in their way. Um, every payer, United Healthcare, Netna, and Anthem, they all have their own ways and they're, they're all a little bit different. And that's part of the mm -hmm. exciting part. So, yeah, it, it is really super exciting. And then, so, you know, um, you know, you've alluded to earlier a little bit about, you know, the, the risk element of this and risk-based contracts and how that can coincide with, with, with the bundles. Um, you know, there's so many different services that could probably improve or reduce the cost and variability of, of care and, and obviously, you know, get these bundles right and make sure, you know, you're staying under budget. What is, what, what is the risk-based contracting specifically all about? And then how do these different vendors that do different services, some of them digital, some of them, you know, hands-on, you know, how could they partake in the economics and, you know, have skin in the game, but also could potential potentially, you know, participate in, you know, participate in um, performance-based contracts along with the risk-based contracts, you know, get a, a percentage, maybe there's an opportunity to keep a percentage yeah. of the savings that's, that's done. Can you talk a little bit about that, that world and how it's changing or how it works yeah, and, or how it could of, work? Yeah, of know? risk um, in a contract is, is very familiar to anybody in the insurance industry. I mean, that's essentially what insurance is, is, is um, managing right. risk. But for, for those of us in sort of the uh, you know, the hospital delivery or, or provider delivery world, it's a sort of a new concept of, you, you mean, you're not going to pay me for what I do, you're going to pay me for an outcome. Um, and I have to successfully manage the risk within that, that sort of outcome. Um, you know, the, the, the approaches that we've seen deployed in the space, uh, you know, there's a couple ways if you're a vendor trying to get in the space to, to do it. One, you serve as a sort of fee-for-service vendor. You, you say, hey, um, I can help you with data. I can mm -hmm. help you with care management. I can help you with, with any of those components. And you pay me $100 a patient or, you know, 10 cents per member per month or however they, the, the vendor decides to structure it. The other way to 
say is that I want to be a risk partner. I'm so confident in the services that I'm, I'm providing that I want to be a risk partner. Um, if you don't uh, do well on this program, then you don't pay us as a vendor anything. If um, you do really well in the program, then we get a, a share of it. And that's sort of that, that sort of gain share model. And, and we're starting to see that emerge not only in this sort of risk contracting pop health space, but you're starting to see pharmaceutical companies um, get into that area as well. Uh, you know, I think everybody is trying to figure out what is the business model around um, delivering outcomes, not uh, getting paid a fee for a service whose outcome is, is yet undefined. And, you know, I think you're going right. to, especially in the pharmaceutical space, need to start seeing this with the emergence of, you know, drugs that cost a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars or plus, you know, up to a million dollars a year, you know, that that's worth it if you deliver a million dollar outcome. It's it's not if you don't. And so in order to be able to make those returns, the, uh, I think, especially in the pharmaceutical space, they're gonna have to start standing behind what they're doing in the same way that right. um, we're doing right now in, in like the bundle world, saying that you know we, we, we will deliver this outcome for this mm -hmm. price or, or it's on our back. It's not on the patient's back. I mean, the patient is, um, mm -hmm. not responsible mm -hmm. for the fact that uh, they they had a, an intrasurgical complication. Um, it's it's something that um, you know that that's something that we should be able to to mitigate and that we're we're responsible for. And, and it's super interesting. And then so what, what would you do if um, there's a new pharmaceutical company or a established pharmaceutical company wanting to position a new drug, but that drug's not necessarily been proven yet, but they know the sales cycles are long. They know the revenue opportunities. So they say, you know, hey, we want this drug to be, we'd like to be positioned to be risk-based and, and have skin in the game, not get paid unless X, Y, and Z result. But maybe the yeah. stats aren't behind the service or the drug yet, whether it's on the pharma side or the digital side. Do you, are there, you know, starting to be regulations or screening criteria for all the new vendors that are trying to shift from service-based to risk-based? Um, is there a clean, hard science of, of, you know, these vendors trying to get through to be risk-based, but then, you know, they don't have necessarily a history behind their service yet, or is it, is it still kind of, you know, just, just, uh, various different vetting processes I, for again, different hospitals? all over the map. There. I mean, all healthcare is local and every system operates differently, right. but you know, from, right. from your particular scenario, if I'm a pharmaceutical right. company right. with a new drug that's unproven, but I have FDA approval, um, but none of the payers are wanting to do it. I mean, go, go to one of the big payers that has, you know, a uh, hundred, a thousand patients that have the rare disease that your drug can treat and stand behind the outcomes and say, Hey, um, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. going to charge you a hundred thousand dollars a right. patient. You tell me payer how much you're paying to take care of these people today, or what's the natural course of, of, of how much these folks mm -hmm. cost and give them our drug and, or, or make our drug available to them at least. And then um, if their cost of care goes down and, and then the pharmaceutical company gets a, a share of it. Um, and you know, you, that model can work. Um, I, I think you, you're not really seeing a lot of it yet because it's just so different from the way that we traditionally do things. But um, if you ask somebody, you know, if, if you can guarantee that you're going to cure my disease, that that's worth a lot to me um, versus, hey, you can pay right. me a couple hundred thousand dollars and, um, you know, may, maybe it'll work, maybe not. That That's to me a lot. It's a lot tougher of a sell. It's not necessarily a win win. Right. Right. No, thank you for, for the illustration there. I, I appreciate the explanation. Um, you know, definitely we, we've had 
you know, a lot of like macro to high level discussions about these economics and, and, and these pieces on the show, but not really diving deeper. And so I'm always intrigued to go a little yeah. bit deeper on some more specific examples. So really appreciate it. Um, let me ask you about the one piece before we get into your vision of the future, Greg, right? Is you mentioned uh, social determinants of health. How does, uh, what are some examples, whether it's the childbirth example or a knee replacement or a heart stint, where do social determinants of health come into play like before or after that procedure? And then, you know, obviously the finance and payment side, that's kind of like hard science, right? But it feels like on the social side, there's so much variability, so many different ways to tackle different social issues. But any examples or thoughts or maybe just a mindset um, that you're you're using right yeah. now? When, I, mean, I, when I think it's looking really at important whenever you're looking at social determinants that you really understand the population you're, you're trying to serve. Um, and let me give you an example. When we were doing our, our maternity bundle work, um, you know, we were really thinking about population and, and some of the things that you read in the literature about people not coming to prenatal visits. And, you know, that's something that you have to incentivize in a population. And, you know, we sat down with our physician partners on it, um, the OBs, and they said, look, um, you know, if somebody's, um, you know, in a managed care plan and they're, they're you know, um, uh, commercially insured and, you know, they have a good job and stable family life and, you know, all the, all the, the privileges and benefits that go with that, they come to every one of their prenatal visits. They're taking their prenatal vitamins. They're, they're calling you every time they have a, a contraction in some cases, like they're, they're getting really good prenatal care. You don't need to incentivize them to get better prenatal care. Um, and then you have other folks that are just in that sort of disadvantaged, underserved, you know, never really trusted the healthcare system that don't come to prenatal visits. Those are the folks that you need to incentivize. Right. And so we, um, you know, took that sort of uh, anecdotal story from, from an OBGYN that, that we work with and went to the data. And the data bore that out exactly. Um, you know, you, you can segment a population and just based on characteristics, you can say, is this person going to come into their prenatal visits or are they not um, through data? Now, is it universal? No. But um, if you're going to sort of target um, a social determinant, if you're going to target um, the underlying causes, make sure you're really focused on the right people, because otherwise you're going to be throwing resources at people who don't need a resource. Um, in addition, I think that, you know, us as a health system that's been very successful over time, and I think probably many other health systems in the country, we've always thrived and succeeded on building it ourselves and doing it ourselves. Um, to address social determinants, I mean, you're really talking about what's happening in the 99% of time when people are not interacting with your health system. So you figure even somebody who's um, fairly sick, if they're in a hospital, if they're interacting with the hospital, 1% of their year, that's 3.6 days in the hospital year. You gotta be pretty sick to be uh, hospitalized at least once a year. And so what's really happening is mm -hmm. out in the community. It's the 99% right. that the health system has zero visibility into. But in all these communities, there, there are resources out there. There's an area, you know, uh, agency on aging. There's um, an Alzheimer's association. There's a breathing association in Columbus that, that has been interacting with folks in the community that, that have needs um, for a lot longer than, than probably we've been around. Um, and so, you know, it's really those partnerships um, in the community that are going to help us really address social needs. 
um, you know, any health system, no matter how um, financially strong, no matter uh, any health plan, no matter how financially strong, can figure out a way to bankrupt itself pretty easily by um, just throwing resources at every patient that they see in the sort of social sort of realm. Um, you know, if you really think about taking it to extreme, hey, we're going to pay for all your food, we're going to pay for all your housing, we're going to pay for your car, we're going to pay for your kids' tuition. I mean, that there's no healthcare model that's going to sustain that kind of business model. And so it's really partnering with the folks that are already in the community that have the ability to help address those because they have resources, either through the government or private funding, to, to address some of those needs that we need to address. And I think that's probably the frontier that we really need to um, um, get better at in the social determinants realm is, is um, you know, really relying on what's already out there and what's happening out there and really being the connector to, to make sure that people with needs are being connected to those who can fulfill the needs. Because it's not going to be us that can fulfill the needs of, of everyone. So it's pretty interesting. And um, by the yes. way, I want to be sensitive to time too, Greg, but this is really super, you know, interesting. The, um, the follow-up question I have to that is like the, you know, the prenatal visit example, right? You know, the hospital system traditionally doesn't have these like functions or even a supportive mindset of like the marketing and advertising, yeah. right? To that mother to do the prenatal. I mean, you want to incentivize them, right? But you're almost really talking about like adding a marketing and advertising function uh, to like a hospital to, to try and get in front of that mother to do the prenatal. So, you know, there's mail, there's, you know, he or she, I mean, she's right. ideally checking Facebook on Instagram, has a smartphone. I mean, how do you, how do you reach that person consistently in a, like a permission marketing kind of way? Like what's the difference that makes the difference in your mindset? I know that's bleeding and kind of maybe more into your vision of the future, but maybe, you know, what do you want to see happen more in the yeah, space? What's, and this is, what's this is an area that we still need to learn a lot about. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that we can learn a lot from um, traditional marketing outside of healthcare. So you look at sort of the development of marketing in, in retail and things like that. You, you have sort of hyper segmentation of populations, you know, you um, right down to, you know, every time you log on to Facebook, you, you see in the ads, things that you've searched for on Amazon, right? Um, so, you know, the, the traditional sort of marketing industry has known about how to do this, and they have decades of experience in doing it, that um, I think we can learn a lot from in healthcare. Um, how do we appropriately segment populations and know how to reach them? Some people want a phone call. Some people want a text message. Some people want to be emailed. Some people just want to be left alone. Um, and so, you know, what's going to be most effective to which right. person and how do you reach them is something that um, we haven't traditionally been focused on. But I, I think that is, is something that we're, we're getting into and something that we have to get a lot better at. Um, because, you know, just to address the issue that you just described is like, how do you really reach somebody to convey that value proposition for coming to prenatal visits? And it's going to be different depending on the right. segment um, and the right. sort of the, who you're trying to address. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I appreciate the insights. It's it's really fascinating, and you know, definitely lots of thoughts on different angles um, to 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 put together, right? To really figure out what's the right formula, and it does seem formulaic and relative, you know, to outreach and personalize things to incentivize people. It, and sometimes it's rewards, but sometimes right. it's recognition or just, you know, simple nudges. You know, I, I think it feels 
just depends. But Greg, can you share with us a little bit more? And I know you've been, been doing that a little bit, you know, um, past few minutes here, but share us your vision of the future for healthcare. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I've, what, I've touched on it a little bit, but you know, I, I think we're really approaching an era where um, a health system or or the health system in general that that's you know not just us but it, but everyone who delivers healthcare is really going to be focused on serving an individual's needs not providing a one size fits all solution whether that's through personalized medicine and in pharmaceuticals and in cancer treatments and rare disease or or whether it's from a, a sort of systems perspective um, when it comes to how does somebody access care? Um, you know, some people want the traditional, you know, I want a 15 minute primary care visit. Um, some people want uh, on demand care whenever they want it, 24 seven hours a day. Some people want, you know, two hour appointments with their primary care doc. And, and we're developing models to address all of those different types of needs. And it's it's really the segmentation of a population to meet somebody's needs, to convey that value proposition um, is what I'm really excited about. Um, in, in our own health system, you know, we have a, this partnership with, with, a, with a really innovative company out of Florida called ChenMed that has just been doing remarkable things for Medicare Advantage patients for, I think, close to 30 years now. Um, and we're, you know, learning a lot from them and partnering with them on, on bringing their model into to Columbus. And, you know, they've, they've really hyper segmented um, serving Medicare Advantage members in underserved areas and just wrapping a model around those patients' needs and, and wrapping an entire um, clinic model and business around serving only those types of people. And they've been very successful in that sort of hyper-segmentation approach. And I think that's how we're going to to be successful. And, and you know, you talk to their patients, you talk to their um, their company, and they've... they've um, Everybody is doing better from from a patient outcomes perspective and, and you know, satisfaction. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when every person has that sort of ability to access a system that is really tailored to their needs. Um, and I think we're, we're a lot closer to it than, than, than some people think. Great, great, Greg. Yeah, this is powerful. You've taken us through some really powerful, you know, concepts in depth, I think, in a, in a short period of time here. Uh, from healthcare finance to bundled payments to, you know, to personalization healthcare and then those social factors, right, that make a difference, uh, you know, along the way. And so really appreciate the thought leadership you're bringing and, and that you've brought. We'd love to obviously have you back as you work on different projects and have different new studies or services uh, outcomes to share. Um, but most importantly, Greg, if listeners want to engage with you or get in contact yeah, with um, you, and, and what thank would be a you good for the, the kind so? words, and I'd, I'd be happy to come back anytime you want. Um, the best way to get a hold of me is probably through something like LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on there, and I'm pretty responsive to, to folks wanting to reach out and just talk about things and, and healthcare. And, and I'm always interested to hear kind of what other people are doing as well. Um, you know, this is one of those things that uh, you know I really feel nobody ha- really has this figured out. Um, if somebody had this figured out, they'd be taking the country by storm. Um, and, you know, there, there are companies that are doing really well, but um, right. n- in my mind, nobody's really figured this out. And I don't think anybody will be able to unless we all kind of work together and put our best ideas on the table. So I, I love interacting and talking with people about it. So, you know, feel free to re- reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way to do it. Sounds great, Greg. Well, well, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. And to um to our listeners out there again this is the pop health show this is for anyone that has a passion for making others healthier in this world
Thank you so much. And thanks again, Greg. Really appreciate it.